I think Nouns is extremely inspirational for for many reasons, but two stand out in my mind is one, uh, getting rid of the Discord is saying, hey, like an actual society doesn't have like a single way of like there needs to be multi multimedia. How about that? In terms of like the way that people engage Um, and in doing so is actually espousing a a decentralized approach to to building something versus a a centralized approach. and so that that I think is is really impactful. I don't think any other like on-chain group has has taken that approach. I think that has also been an inspiration for us in, in terms of like how, how we want to build Farcaster. But I think the other thing is I think that the fork shows that the team is willing to commit to the the actual vision and willing to pay a huge price to that in terms of like, you know, you have a bunch of people leave, like have to take this hard-earned ETH. Um for the treasury and, and let it go. But in doing so, I, I think of it as almost like a forest fire where it's like you actually kind of, it, it's this pretty traumatic thing that happens, but from that you get a lot of new growth and new life. And and so I think actually being willing to kind of have nothing be um, too enshrined or too ossified as a way of doing things that shows a dynamic community and the fact that it's kind of being done, not kind of, it is being done in a centralized way. Um, I think very few people have been able to accomplish that because be both decentralized and moving forward with decisions that have consequences, I think is, is actually quite admirable. And uh, I think a lot of decentralized teams within the broader on-chain ecosystem would learn a lot from paying attention to what's happening with Nouns. Welcome back to Zero Rights Reserved, the podcast about nouns, DAOs, Ethereum, NFTs, and more, brought to you by the Noun Square Media Collective. I'm your host, Tony Hawk, and this week our co-host is Prof Werder, aka the Nounish Professor. Our guest today is the esteemed Dan Romero, aka DWR. He's a nouner, a trailblazer, and founder of Farcaster Protocol. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming. Nouns are people, places, and things. So we always like to start on this podcast with the people. I'd uh, love to hear a little bit about your story, about your journey. Uh, I know that like many founders and builders in this space, you are a Coinbase alum, I believe. Uh, so maybe you can start there and, and just sort of give us the, the Dan Romero story. Yeah, so originally from the East Coast, and I moved to San Francisco in 2013, was working at a SaaS company had dismissed Bitcoin as a kind of a Ponzi scheme. Fred Urson was actually a college friend and he had originally pitched me on joining Coinbase when I moved to San Francisco and classic didn't read the book or, you know, just judged it by the cover. And later that year, I actually read the Bitcoin white paper for the first time and became kind of obsessed with Bitcoin and, and kind of the future of building new types of applications that use blockchains, right? It's like a new type of computer. Um, ended up joining Coinbase, worked on a bunch of different things at Coinbase, and then kind of fell in love with crypto again when when Ethereum started to kind of really kick off in 2016, 2017. Um, and, and I think the thing that I've always been excited about Ethereum, and, and look, I, I still really like Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is amazing and, you know, it's the first and it's, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, but I think where I naturally started to drift towards Ethereum is, is people could use it to build actual applications. I think Bitcoin has ossified in a way that's probably good for Bitcoin, but 
not necessarily the thing that I'm most excited about when I think about like what what gets me excited about cryptocurrency and permissionless public blockchains. It's about building apps and and experiences, many of which probably don't have like an explicit financial component. Um, and so I think Ethereum felt like this idea of a global computer and, and, and kind of moving in that direction. And so when I left Coinbase in 2019, I took some time off and as part of kind of that exploration, started kicking around an idea that I'd been interested in probably since, you know, 20, 2009, 2010, of how could you actually move Twitter, which is kind of a centralized company to a protocol. And I think there's a great Paul Graham essay. If you just Google, you know, Paul Graham, Twitter essay, it, there's a very simple short essay he has on his website that he wrote in 2009 about Twitter and how it's this kind of weird quirk of history that Twitter, which should kind of be a protocol, short text-based updates um, in a broadcast format, somehow ended up within a company. And the other kind of idea that I've always been interested in, and, and we can get into it a little bit more, is RSS, which I still use today, is this very simple decentralized permissionless protocol that kind of got outcompeted by by Web2 social networks. That's and, how many uh, of you are listening right now is on RSS. Right, exactly. All, all the podcasts today are effectively distributed by um, RSS. But how could you take something as simple as that and, and start to add functionality to it in a way that you could actually start to have um, that experience be competitive with Twitter? And so Varun, uh, my co-founder, and I started kind of working on this idea of RSS Plus, which three years later, and, and we're actually roughly at about three years of, of having started working on Farcaster, we um, have Farcaster, which is now a permissionless decentralized social network. And yeah, happy to talk about any of those things. No, I love that. I love that you, you uh, leapfrog right into our next question, which was what made you want to tackle the problem of sufficiently decentralized social? You talked about it a little bit just now, but is there a specific reason why that problem, that pain point was attractive to you to try to tackle? Yeah, so I actually was an early Twitter API developer in college. Um, I built a website with a couple of friends called Straw Poll, which prior to Twitter oh. having native polls, um, you could, I remember that. Yeah, you could reply to this account and via the Twitter API, we were able to kind of tally. It's actually how polls kind of almost work on Farcaster today. There's a, there's a bot called Surveycaster, which effectively does the same thing. And, you know, the Twitter founders used it. We, we were actually like very, very early days API. So we were actually one of the larger consumers of the API at that point, just because we were getting a bunch of replies. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world that you had this kind of social network that had these really permissive open APIs. And I think that era of Twitter, people forget there was no official Twitter mobile client. It was a website and there were a bunch of uh, independent third-party mobile clients, uh, Tweety, Tweetbot, Twitterific, um, some of the best RIP. developers. RIP all our, of these. Yeah, exactly. Some of the best indie developers in the uh, early mobile app ecosystem, a uh, ton of UI innovation. So uh, pull the refresh. Actually, Twitter has the patent to pull the refresh. Um, they, they don't. No way. It. Yeah, but <laughs> that was a result of the Tweety acquisition. Lauren Brichter, who's you know kind of an epically amazing uh, iOS developer, built that into the Tweety in terms of just pulling down. We, we take it for granted today. You pull down to, to refresh the feed. But yeah, I, I, that's the era I grew up with in terms of I, I'm like very much from the Web 2.0 version of Web 2. And right. um, so remixes, APIs, 
and watching that change over the last decade where social media went from or social networking is what they used to call it went to social media and kind of outsized influence a lot of centralization kind of curtailing the open access via apis um all for reasonable reasons i think for those companies but in terms of at the kind of detriment to i think consumers and, and consumer choice um and so i think that that is like the underlying motivation for me is i believe a world where if you can somehow get a decentralized social network to some amount of scale and i think that that's a really really hard thing and we have not figured that out yet that's, that's what we're focused on if you right. can actually do that then the amount of permissionless innovation that's going, going to occur on top of that network is going to be substantial and and massive amount of of benefit to people right because now any developer with an interesting idea doesn't have to go bootstrap a new social network to to try that idea they can just tack it on to an existing social network and it's much lower friction uh for someone to go try it out and if if that idea works now now you have hopefully just yet another way to connect humans and i think generally connecting people around the world together is a is a net positive for humanity on, on a wide variety of um you know kind of axes you touched on something in that sentence just now uh, that I was actually going to ask you about. You casted recently, social networks are better than social media. What did you mean by that cast? I think you tweeted it as well. Well, if you go back to those early days of, of like Web 2.0, early days of Facebook, early days of Twitter, it was, it was social networking, right? Um, social was the category, but, but people would talk about social networks. And I That's think true. networks are... It, it, it feels futuristic and it feels uh, people centric, right? In the sense that, you know, like we're, we're connecting. Um, media has the connotation that it's, it's kind of broadcast, centralized. The big accounts are the only ones that matter. Um, you don't have as much choice. The algorithm dominates. Like, I, I think if you were just to ask the average person, social network, social media, um, which one has a more positive connotation to you? Like, I, I think most people would actually probably choose social network. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I don't know if you saw this tweet from 4156 recently, but during the fork and everything that was happening and, and all the discussion around book value versus meme value, he made a tweet talking about how he was going to stop using the word meme value and start using the word network value to describe, you know, the intrinsic value of owning a noun or being a part of this community is, is literally, you know, a social network built on, a, on an NFT base. Yeah, and I actually think that's one of the the big uh, bets for us over the next year is is and to jump in, Farcaster kind of is you know this decentralized, pretty low level protocol, but Warpcast is the app that we've been building, and and one of the big initiatives we're making a bet on is this concept of channels, and it's been I think quite successful with nouns, um, and and it's the idea that you should be able to actually bring your existing network and plug it into the infrastructure that exists with Farcaster and the apps there. But importantly, you as the kind of your, you is maybe not the right term, a collective group of people as a network or community actually retains kind of ownership of that user list and that ability to kind of fork it out and say, Hey, look, you know, this isn't working for us anymore. We're going to move to a different, different tool. Um, or even better, there is no canonical tool, which I think, nouns is, is very much ahead on the kind of thinking here so rather than having a canonical discord 
you just say, hey, this is the canonical list of people who are participating in this network. And now we are going to offer a variety of tools that are permissionlessly built on top of an on-chain primitive. And so actually, I'm very bullish on this idea that um, the kind of like on-chain groups, DAOs, I, I think, have a lot of baggage. So you just, just simplify it. A, a kind of group of people defined by something on-chain, um, yeah. being able to kind of plug into different interfaces, different networks. Um, I think that is that is really powerful. And I, I think Bology, of course, always a little ahead here as well. This concept of a network state, I think it gets a lot of uh, flack just because A is Bology. So people have maybe a very strong opinion of them one way or another. But I think it, it's, it seems to be like a foreign concept in a world of nation states where people think of like, okay, I am American or I am, you know, whatever X country citizen based on physical location. But if you think about the amount of time you spend as like kind of a very digitally native, you know, both of you and, and, and myself included, mm -hmm. like we are, we are digital natives and we spend a lot of time interacting with people all over the world based on kind of shared interests. Right. And so I, I think it's wild that most of the people on Farcaster I've never met in person, nor did I know prior to working on Farcaster. Right. If you just look at the top hundred most active users, kind of like in terms of just like engagement on the network, I think I probably knew 10 of those people before. And I think that's an amazing thing that we've kind of just constructed this cloud-based community. I think the nouns is the same thing. And in, in some cases, nouns, again, being ahead is I think a little bit more pseudonymous and a little bit more, hey, you know what? I'm even gonna take away the, the baggage of the kind of uh, who I am as a person in the real world with all of the kind of baggage that comes with that. And, and yep. just say, hey, this is my identity online. I, I have this little pixel avatar to represent that. And I want to be taken face value on how I interact in this digital space rather than whatever preconceived set of notions you have about me as a, as a person in the real world. I was looking at the questions today and I said, I got one to add, network states. <laughs> like, I'm sure there'll be a moment where this will come out. And I, I love this whole concept. I love, you know, Balaji's concept of network state because it makes a lot of sense for all the reasons you just said. And to me, Farcaster is already, and this is my question to you, to me, it feels like it, if it's not a network state, it's on its way. What are your thoughts on that in terms of where is where does Farcaster fit in the idea of a network state? And also, I'd love to hear, I know you're going to be speaking at the network state conference if you want to give us a little alpha on that and uh, what's what's coming. Yeah, so fun fact, I already did the network stake talk probably a couple of weeks ago. Well, uh, originally asked me to go and I said, I'm, I'm not traveling for a conference, sorry. And he goes, great, well, let's do a Zoom call uh, anytime you want to do it. And I said, well, I, the only time I'm willing to do it is on a Friday evening when my kids are asleep. And he said, great, well, let's do it. So uh, amazing sales uh, ability there in terms of just <laughs> getting me to talk about it. And, and it was great because I actually think to your point, there is a lot of overlap between apologies, I think kind of concept of network states and then a manifestation of a cloud-based community that is Farcaster. Um, I, I, I think the, the challenge with network state as a term is it, it's just very charged, right? It, it, and, and I think that that's useful in terms of kind of creating an intellectual spark and, and, and generating conversation. But I think it, it also creates a, a defensiveness for people who, again, identify 
when when you think of nation or state or citizen, you probably think of the physical country that you were born in or raised or or kind of assimilated into in the case of. of yeah, you, you talked about DAOs having baggage. So if DAOs have baggage, then nations definitely have baggage. Right. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so so I think the like anything, I think you, it, it takes time. It takes other people kind of positioning it to say, hey, maybe this is this idea is a little bit more extreme, but that that's useful for creating the conversation. Here's a, a basic manifestation of it, right? Like, I, I think there are plenty of people who use Farcaster daily that don't think of it as a nation state. But if you were to say, hey, is this a community of people, regardless of whether you've met them or not, that you have an affinity towards and, and you're willing to kind of uh, kind of do kindness, unconditional, like, you know, do something where you're not expecting something back uh, because of norms or because of, of a, a kind of emergent culture. I think we have plenty of examples of that. I think that there was actually an example specifically network state oriented where someone offered their ticket to the network state conference to someone else in the network. And I think Grin recasted that and says that the kindness on Farcaster um, is so heartwarming. And, and I think Again, these are internet strangers, right? Like the, the, we've been told and programmed that internet strangers are only trolls or people who are just nasty to each other because they Stranger can kind of hide behind the screen. <laughs> but here's a counterexample. And does that scale? I, I hope. I think we're going to try our best. And I think there's a lot you can do in product to help kind of nudge that. But I do think the idea that you can actually create emergent culture and, and nouns, again, a great example of this. Um, in a strictly digital way, in a way that people don't necessarily know each other in person. And, and again, in the case of nouns, you're, you're kind of doing it even more on hard mode where you're doing a lot pseudonymously, which um, another biology concept of this idea of the pseudonymous economy. So I, I think the, um, the network state meme will continue to proliferate and exist, but I think my, my, my like, critique of it is it needs better retail packaging. And this is the same concept that biology has around the gray tribe. It's, yeah. it's um, the idea is I think rooted in something that there's definitely, definitely truth behind it. And, and there's actually appeal if positioned right. And so, you know, if you think of like Don Draper and Mad Men, it's like, you kind of really need that, that marketing or kind of retail oriented consumer oriented person to really say, how can we package this in a way that doesn't see seem so scary? Uh, for someone whose identity might be wrapped up in, in the previous paradigm. And that's, you know, it, to the a point that you made it kind of in there, there's a different type of culture that's being developed on Farcaster. And there's a different type of person who's like really attracted to being super active there. And I think that's what's creating this little mini network state or whatever you want to call it or on-chain community that's just a little different. Like what have you seen in terms of themes to the folks that sort of really get active, really dive into Farcaster that's different from other platforms? Well, I've brought this up on a bunch of different interviews, podcasts before and, and on Farcaster, but I do think Eugene Way's essay status as a service is, is entirely accurate. And this took me a while because I think the initial go to market for Farcaster was invite Dan's network of people that from his time at Coinbase and then Silicon Valley. And most of those people turned. And I think where people who have stuck around um, on Farcaster, a lot of the, those initial groups of people were people who were kind of like one or two referrals away from the original group of people. So I, you know, I onboarded a bunch of people in my network and asked everyone for one or two referrals. And 
kind of work my way through that list of people. Um, and, and going back to Eugene's essay, I, I think the people who stuck around were people who didn't necessarily have a lot of pre-existing status on Twitter. Very, very few instances of people, you know, I, I would say it's like they talk to centralized, but they, they act centralized in the sense that they're very happy to continue using Twitter despite wanting to complain about it because they've already built up an audience. And I, I can't fault them for that, right? Like it takes a long time to build an audience and that's a valuable asset for individuals because it gives you an opportunity to spread your message. Um, I think that's I part of read. the, it's part of the, the promise of crypto in a way too, though, is dis disenfranchised people have an opportunity to, you know, bring themselves up that they maybe wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity uh, if, if crypto weren't there. So in this case, you know, subbing maybe money for status, but, similar a similar idea yeah totally and and i think so it's just this idea that you can go settle this new social network and by being early and active and thoughtful there you're naturally if the social network grows and so that that's kind of the view the, the social contract that we have from warpcast or the core team is like we're going to grow the network um and so if you continue to participate you benefit from that in terms of you're building an audience and if we build that network in the right way your audience is is thoughtful and interesting and so that, that that's actually useful for you whether you're you know, an entrepreneur or a writer or an artist or anyone kind of wanting to put a message out into the world or a product. And, and now you, you have a group of people that have, uh, are going to see it. Right. Whereas on Twitter, it's kind of like screaming into the void. Um, so the air, the airdrop is literally the friends we made along the way then. Well, this is, this is my big push on, you know, everyone <laughs> That's it, talks Tony. about That's all you're getting. The, <laughs> it's more well, friends. This is, this is so, this is interesting. It's like, well, you need to have some type of token or airdrop or um, whatever economic compensation. And my push is if you have a thoughtful and, and uh, interesting audience that is growing, that is a form of economic compensation. And arguably it's a much more flexible form of compensation because it, it's not limited to just like one thing. Right. And, and you can actually now, let's say you, um, you're kind of like a software entrepreneur and then you, you go pivot to making art. Like you can use that same audience to kind of say, Hey, this is what I'm doing now. And, and like, that is actually pretty powerful. Um, and I, and I think the other underrated thing, which fine, like it just, once you get to scale, it will matter is you actually do have a direct relationship with your audience. Right. Whereas on Twitter or YouTube, you're one terms of service violation from whoever is running uh, the platform, whether it was the previous regime or the current regime, they don't like you. Boom. The challenge with that is if you've gone through that, you acutely understand the pain and then the value of actually when you're building an audience on something where you, you control that relationship or that relationship isn't, um, intermediated by a third party, you, you value it, but it's a little bit of like, you don't value that kind of stuff, um, until you run through it for most people, because they're otherwise they're pretty happy on, on social, you know, centralized social media. Um, I was just going to say the one person I always want to give a shout out to and shows how committed ideologically he is to like these principles is Vitalik. I mean, he, he is using Farcaster and the guy has 5 million followers on Twitter, right? Yep. Um, granted, I'm sure whenever he tweets, it's, it's pretty intolerable in terms of the number of bots that are replying. But I think <laughs> very few people above 100,000 followers on Twitter um, have stuck around in any meaningful way on Farcaster. And I, and I think Vitalik is a good example of someone who practices what he preaches. Um, yeah. whereas I think, I think his a lot Twitter hack people. helped too, you know, when he got hacked on Twitter that helped him go, all right, sure. now I'm definitely just going to use Farcaster, which was great. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I would just say it's, um, I, I now am acutely aware of the people who actually 
talk decentralized and then act decentralized. Um, I think that yep. there's a lot of, there are a lot of people out there who actually, and, and I can't fault them for it. They basically are just trying to use crypto to kind of get ahead in terms of whether it's an audience size or the next stage in their career, which is fine. But you, you quickly figure out who the true believers are um, yeah, in terms of the, sure. the people who are willing to kind of like talk and act the same way. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, a good example of that is we, we put all of these podcasts on chain and, you know, we wish that that could be our primary method of distribution and maybe one day it will be, but, um, you know, to your point, even in an on-chain community like Nouns, which is firmly entrenched in like this Web3 world, it's still hard to get people to download your podcast as an as a NFT instead of on an RSS feed. It's just, uh, yeah, it's tough. But at least if we're making inroads and pushing people in that direction and giving them the option, it, it starts the conversation. Yeah, look, I mean, I there are so many things I wish we could go add to Warpcast. Um, I think it was just we're in this ruthless prioritization mode of like the only thing that matters is significantly growing quality daily active users for the protocol. Everything else is secondary. But I yeah. would love to be in a situation where if you're natively publishing a podcast on chain, that, that can just flow directly into Warpcast for people who care yes, about it and, 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 and to start <laughs> having a, a way of... of because I think most of the podcast players, and again, I always want to be like intellectually honest. I think most podcast players just look at it and be like, the market is focus on RSS and, and traditional podcasts. Of course. The three stuff or the crypto stuff is too niche. Um, yeah. And I think the- And they're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so it's completely right. rational, right? So like, I think there are a lot of people who get like upset about that. And, and I think you just have to approach it. It's like, what are the incentives? And you know, show me the incentives, show me the outcome, right? And so I think that there has to be sometimes you just have people who are willing to do something for an ideological reason and put a lot of care into making the great product experience. And in, in that way, you actually start to induce demand, which, you know, can create its own flywheel. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I have that actually, I think is one of, I have 50 ideas or so that I put on my blog that I probably should just update that list in terms of things that you could go build on Farcaster. But I think a really simple um, client would just be something that, looks for people on the forecaster graph and then maybe they can point to their on-chain you know podcast or something and then it would just be a podcast player and you could kick out to the other podcast players right like you could you yeah. could do it really really lightweight but the, the whole point is it's, it's just kind of offering a um discovery kind of like view into the world of hey i want to look at the graph not based on casts but just actually what's the on-chain media people are putting out right so you could do the same thing for music nfts or something like that and so so they're interface is actually doing that but i it's doing it along with other things but it is built on um farcaster and it's pulling from that feed so with gm farcaster we're doing something similar to what toady's doing and we're streaming it on on lonely because we're trying to keep it farcaster native if you will and then we are recording it and then putting it on zora um as nfts and using that as sort of where our recording lives and what we found out is that interface which is all, another client um, Farcaster client that does a whole bunch of other stuff, but it has a built-in video player. So if you're, um, so your the Zeropod um, GM Farcaster will come up and it'll play automatically the whole um, nice. thing. So that's so it's it's out there. It just isn't quite in the form that we want it yet, but it can be done. So there we go. So shout out Interface. <laughs> yeah, I think Interface done. is an amazing product, um, and then the founder is on Farcaster. Um, yeah, I, I think. One challenge sometimes, though, uh, with these tools is so interface is a great example. It does so much, and I actually think it, it 
the the when you do a lot, it's sometimes harder for people to figure out like what is the actual one thing that this thing does well. And and to be fair, that's the same criticism I would give to Warpcast in that I think I look at some of the features and, and I kind of like you treat every feature almost like a child and you're like, Uh-oh. oh, I don't want to get rid of that. We had to spend time working on that. People, some 10% of people like it, they love it. And, and you know, 90% of people don't care. Um, and so I think, but there's, there is value in focus and value in what is the one thing that this is just excellent at versus there are 30 things that this is like pretty good at. And, and I actually shouldn't say that interface isn't good at that. I actually think the thing interface is excellent at is you follow someone on chain, you get push notifications anytime they do something on chain. I think they're really great at that. Um, but I think that there is value in apps that are opinionated and really focused. And I think where the challenge, and I, and I talked about this recently with Bill Z on, on uh the Abora space that we did, we do um, every couple of weeks, kind of like almost like a noun square, but like for Farcaster, cause he has this, uh, you know, client. Nice. But um, I think the challenge is a lot of the people wanting to build a client are looking to do a venture back startup. Right. And I can't fault them for that. I'm, I'm doing one myself. I worked on one prior to Coinbase. There's a lot of upside if it works out. So totally reasonable thing for people to do. But I think where Farcaster is at this stage is just too small to support meaningful growth for a venture-backed client outside of Warpcast, which obviously we're, we're also building the protocol or you know, heavily driving the protocol forward. And so yeah. I think the thing that I'm coming around to is that there may be a period and it may be, you know, six months, 12 months, two years where the best candidates for, for like apps that, that really plug into the, the you know, kind of usefulness of Farcaster um, are hobbyist apps or kind of like those early twi- Twitter apps where it's like one person, they're kind of doing it, maybe moonlighting at night. Like Flink is a good example of this, which now, by the way, is the majority of signups coming into Farcaster post permissionless. Sloak has a day job. And that's just that's a crazy. come home, eats dinner, and then does three hours of coding and, and, <laughs> and kind of labor of love. And, and easy for me to say in the sense that, you know, we have a bunch of money raised, like you, I, I can think about this full time. But what I would say is like, I think a lot of great products um, in software come as a result of people just being passionate about it versus uh, approaching it straight up as saying, how do I turn this into a company? Um, and so I think that that is, that is something that we're thinking about. And, and you know, Greg Skoroloff is another great example of this and that he's not working on Farcaster full time. He's working for ENS, but he has like four or five tools that are really useful, right? He just made this one recently where you can gift the Farcaster account. And so I think that's probably yeah, where that's we're awesome. going to be. And, and so going back to this idea of the podcast app, I think of that as like, you probably just, if you're really into podcasts and you want to learn React Native or, or Swift, just building the podcast player that you kind of wish existed and maybe making it a little bit more on-chain oriented, that in of itself is probably the right way for that thing to get started versus saying, oh, I want to go build a venture-backed company from the get-go. Just not going to have enough growth for, for that type of app. But if be, be the podcast thing, app. Yeah, if you build such a thing, Tony and I will be very, very happy. We're just talking a little bit about the permissionlessness of Farcaster. And so by the time this pod comes out, it'll, it'll have been a, a few weeks now um, since there was a, a major milestone for Farcaster in that you went completely permissionless. For someone from the outside looking in, what, what does that mean and, and why is it important? Yeah, so we had a sign-up gate 
for the first three years of, of Farcaster, right? It took us a, probably six months to get a prototype, like what we would call like V1. Um, and then we kept the sign up gate, which was me. Like you, you had to DM me or know me to, to get an invite <laughs> into the, um, the network. That's how I got it. DM, for a while, you had yeah. to DM a secret word of the day. Right, right. Like and, and I think... Playhouse. It was fantastic. <laughs> so, so that's inspired by a couple things. So one, I think social networks, um, you need to develop norms in a culture. And if you just open things up, especially in crypto, if people think that it's like, oh, like there's potential for an airdrop, I'm just going to go like you, you quickly race to the bottom, feels bots, feels like kind of like there is... Um, there is no, I use this term, it's, it's from Arabic. So I, if I'm misusing it, I would love someone to, to correct me. But asabiya, you can look it up. It's just this connectedness of society. And so the idea that um, you, you kind of like want to actually slowly build up the network and, and find the people who are active and develop the culture, uh, I think is really important. And, and I actually think in some ways that's inspired by just seeing Coinbase grow and, and realizing that, you know, when we were going through hyper growth in, in 2017 and 2018, at any given point, 30% of the company had been at the company for fewer than three months. And, and so you, you're in this kind of weird situation where um, most people don't know the culture. And so what ends up happening is when you have people who are both new starting to interact, they're importing culture from the previous company. So you have a Google person and a Facebook person working on a team together, and there's no OG Coinbaser, the, the, the company values are actually going to start drifting because there's no one to kind of actually teach um, how, how things work. Same thing with the social network. And so I think our, our point of view was, hey, we need to go get the technical stuff correct on the, on the protocol side of things, which ended up taking us about three years. There is no rush to kind of turn on the floodgates because all you're going to get is kind of drift from a cultural standpoint while you're also focused on trying to get the technical stuff right. So I think our approach has been, hey, right. like let's let this bake a little bit slower and just just constantly be adding new people just so you have the plumbing of, of onboarding working. Fresh faces are always nice, increases the number of people on the network who are active, get more followers. And and it took us, you know, three years and we did about twenty thousand people uh prior to permissionless. But now the network we turned off the sign up gate. So the the network is entirely permissionless. And, and what I mean by that is you can sign up. Uh, you don't need to use Warpcast to do that. You can do that at the smart contract level. If you're technically sophisticated, you can go use another client like Flink. Um, all of the data and APIs for the network live in this piece of software we built called Hubs. So you can kind of think of it as like an Ethereum node, but specific for the Farcaster network. That's available on GitHub. You can download yep. it, get it running. And in 30 minutes, you'll have the entire an entire copy similar to an Ethereum node, you'd have an entire copy of the Farcaster network and full access to the data and API. So you can kind of create new casts, you can follow people like, et cetera. And you can, you can be doing that entirely on your own machine. You can do it on a Raspberry Pi at this point, um, or you can do it in the cloud. And then the last part is um, you, you don't need to use like an official client. Like you just, you know, you have to use the Twitter client in order to use Twitter. Um, or, or it, Twitter, Twitter's always had a little bit more permissive. So even, even more so, even more so post Elon, like you can't even use TweetDeck or any of the other ones that yeah. you used to be able yeah. to use. 
Yeah, yeah but to, to use a more aggressive Instagram, there has never been a third party Instagram client. Instagram shuts that down as fast as possible. And it just like th- that, yeah. that's their prerogative. They've built the network, they've built the value so they can go do it. But I think what, what's pretty neat is, you know, Warpcast, we've built the network. We spent three years doing this. Uh, we have our own client. You can participate in the network and never have to touch a single API or terms of service that we we run. Like you can just use the network completely permissionlessly. And so uh, I think this is um, credible neutrality as a concept that Vitalik has talked about in the past. And I think that that's pretty inspirational for both, you know, Varun and myself in that we want to hold ourselves to a bar where the network that we've built actually delivers on the promise of, of permissionlessness, which enables both innovation, but also um, you as either a user or developer own the relationship, whether it's with your audience or, or your user base. And there's no third party that can come in and, you know, cut that uh, relationship. At the same time, I know you, you have a focus on permissionlessness uh, that we've just talked about, but you've also been vocal and maybe opinionated about setting norms uh, on Farcaster and specifically on Warpcaster. Uh, recently, you made a post uh, about norms with regards to you know short cast responses, and there was some good discussion on that. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about why you think norms are important despite you know the permissionless ethos of, of Farcaster. Yeah, so um, there's the there's the technical protocol, right? So it's like, can I technically do everything? And then there's the the kind of like practical, yeah. like h- how do people participate in the the kind of instantiation of the network, right? Because you can think about it, you can you could fork all the the code is open source, so you can fork uh, the contracts, you could fork the hubs, spin up your own version of it, and if you can convince a bunch of other people to show up to that network, great, like that that it's a completely new network. So I fully expect someone to do that at some point um, in the same way that I think the EVM has been adopted by a bunch of other blockchains or, or kind of uh, solutions. Um, I think the thing about what's made Farcaster as a social network, so move the protocol and more about what's a social network, it's actually the people using it successful thus far is, is the level of thoughtfulness uh, people bring when they are there. The, there's a level of kindness and civility uh, Vitalik has actually accused the network of being too polite, um, which I'll take that as a compliment. Um, but I think for, for a Canadian too, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's Canadians. But, <laughs> but I, I, I think part of it is we put a lot of effort into slow build. People, when you when you move things slowly, people understand the way things work in that culture, and if they don't like it, they just stop using it. Um, and so we have three years of of culture, or maybe call it two, two years of, of, of substantial farcaster culture that's been built. And so what going permissionless, we knew there were going to be a bunch of kind of lower effort, um, bot like airdrop farmer, whatever, whatever kind of pejorative term you want to use. And I think that my initial inclination is like, okay, we need to stop all these people. But I think if I step back, it's actually a, um, there are a bunch of people who are English isn't their first language. Farcaster is an English-dominated social network. Um, they're excited. They they like they've been asking for an invite for years. Like you know, the, the invite process was by no means that efficient. Like kind of a little bit of like randomness in terms of like me letting people in. But they're now able to join for the first time, and they just paid money, right? So now they are a they're a the existing people on the network got it to you know uh, a year worth of Farcaster for free. Next year, if you want to keep using, it, you have to actually pay the protocol. But these people paid money. 
And so I actually think I, I've tried to reframe my my mentality here is, yes, they very well could be at the end just looking for some type of airdrop or, or kind of they're not um, ever going to want to conform in a kind of like norm oriented way of like, hey, being thoughtful. And, and whether that's just laziness or um, uh, they just aren't able to. But I actually want to start from a place of people people want to improve people people want to fit in like that's i think a natural human tendency and so like let's just start with like some basic guidelines right like if, if i don't teach people hey these are the norms then they, they don't know any better versus if you know i have a bunch of these casts out now that you can kind of point to or you know you you have a friend who joins the network and they, they're kind of giving these lower effort replies they they might share it's like hey like the, people don't do that here. Like there is no, there's no, you know, just by replying good doesn't get you a chance to getting an airdrop. Like if anything, that's actually going to hurt your credibility on the network. And so creating those yeah. those norms explicitly is an attempt to say like, believe in people rather than just treat everyone as a hostile actor. And look, if people don't follow those norms at some point, and, and the beauty of the network is Warpcast can have a point of view and say, hey, we think that these, these low effort replies um, are going to be hidden by default. You as a user have the ability to toggle that off. Like you can kind of play like unfiltered mode. And then, but most people are actually saying, hey, I actually, when someone replies good to a cast where I put a ton of effort in, um, I don't actually want to see that because when you do do a reply- It's not great. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and here's the thing. When you do a reply, uh, if you have notifications turned on because you are actually expecting people to be thoughtful, in a world where people are thoughtful, you do actually want to get a notification because it's like getting a, a thoughtful letter. Like you're like, wow, that's great. I put my ideas out in the world and someone's willing to spend, you know, time responding back. But when you get a notification that says good, you you kind of are like, why am I wasting my time on this network? And so I think that there's a balance there. And so we will solve that one way or another. But what I want to do is say, hey, like, just use a like. Like it's it's expressing the same thing, but that no one has likes turned on as a notification. Like we don't even offer that because it's, it would be too noisy. Yeah. So, so, so that's a little bit of like what I think we're trying to do there is assume good intentions and, and, and partially just because people might not understand or, or know. And if it doesn't work from there, then yeah, I think you can take a little bit more of a heavy handed approach. However, what's great is if Warpcast gets too uh, heavy handed with this, like we, we just decide we, we're, we're too uh, opinionated in terms of what should be shown versus not people can go use another client right away. Like there is no like, oh, I have to migrate it like Mastodon or something. It's just like, nope, boom. You can go use Flink or a different other client that's going to have a completely different set of, of you know product decisions related to what you see and what you don't see yeah. or give you even more control over what you want to see. And so I think that that's the beauty of a network is there's a natural check on, you know, as, as much as we think that this is the right approach, if if the market doesn't believe that we are doing a good job there, other people will come and offer uh, better solutions. And I think it, it, this is not even theoretical at this point. Flink offers a web-based crypto-native signup flow that is cheaper than Warpcast, right? The only way you can sign up for Warpcast right now is $12 on mobile using in-app payments. We, we think that that's better for the average person long-term. Um, but there are a bunch of crypto-natives yeah. who want to sign up and they're saying, I don't want to do that. I, I want to pay a cheaper price and I want to use my crypto and I want to use my existing crypto wallet. Boom, they're able to do Flink. Flink is the majority right. of signups on the network. So the market is already responding to our product decision there. And that only works because we've done the hard work yep. to actually make the network permissions. It's amazing. And that I was feel amazing it. to see. That was such a surprise too, to see that Flink was the one 
sort of getting the most um, signups on those first couple of days of permissionless was like, wow, okay, this this is actually sufficiently decentralized. <laughs> well done. It's like you said earlier, show me the incentive, right? Well, the only thing I would say is so, one of the reasons it took us a while is we wanted to actually say, hey, the network is permissionless and it actually to work, right? So it's, it's like those details need to actually, they, they matter. And so I think that there are a lot of, and this is from 10 years in, in crypto, there are a lot of people in crypto that like to talk about roadmaps and things that will happen in the future. And then those <laughs> things never come. And and yeah. so it's just like, just, just have a clear goal. Say, hey, this is what we're working on. This is the priority. Everything else is lower priority. Don't try to say that you're working on everything. And yeah. just actually deliver on it. <laughs> so the, the team, and, and I, I, I feel I, like I very little on the protocol side of things. It was, you know, the entire team pushed on this for, for a year and a half. So. I feel like Nouns is running sort of a, a parallel uh, experiment with with the protocol and the now the ability to fork where, you know, you, you can take your tokens with some of your friends and go and, and create your own Nouns DAO if you want, but you can't take the culture with you, you know? So like all those norms uh, are, are things that we sort of build in an emergent manner over time. Yeah, look, I, I think Nouns is extremely inspirational for, for many reasons, but two stand out in my mind is one, uh, the getting rid of the discord is saying, Hey, like an actual society doesn't have like a single way of like, th th there needs to be multi multimedia. How about that? In terms of like the way that people engage. Um, and in doing so is actually espousing a, a decentralized approach to, to building something versus a, a centralized approach. Um, and so that, that I think is, is really impactful. I don't think any other like on-chain group has, has taken that approach. Outside of maybe like Ethereum, if you, if you actually look at Ethereum, it's pretty decentralized in the sense that um, if you just look at the practical way of like, how do you actually get an upgrade done in Ethereum? It's like you have to go convince the people who maintain the, the nodes. And in the case of the you know Ethereum nodes, there's <laughs> diversity in nodes. So now all of a sudden you, you, there, there's, you have to build social consensus across a bunch of competing teams um, that then have to think about what's in their best interest, but also the best interest of the network. So... Like, I, I think that has also been an inspiration for us in terms of like how we want to build Farcaster. But I think the other thing is, I think that the fork shows that the team is willing to commit to the, the actual vision and willing to pay a huge price to that in terms of like, you know, you have a bunch of people leave, like have to take this hard earned ETH um, for the treasury and, and let it go. But in doing so, I, I think of it as almost like a forest fire where it's like, you actually kind of, it, it's this pretty traumatic thing that happens, but from that you get a lot of new growth and new life. And, and so I think actually being willing to kind of have nothing be um, too enshrined or too ossified as a way of doing things, that shows a dynamic community. And the fact that it's kind of being done, not kind of, it is being done in a centralized way um, I think very few people have been able to accomplish that because usually what happens in a decentralized manner um, is decision-making slows way down. Um, you you kind of run into these intractable, like you just can't get things done. And in, in doing so, it kind of just, you, things just die a slow death. So you, you've kind of hit this like, oh, we're decentralized, but then it's like, yeah, you're decentralized and ineffective. And so to be both decentralized and maybe effective is not the right term in terms of that, that that's like putting judgment as much as decentralized and moving forward with decisions that have consequences, I think is, is actually 
quite admirable. And uh, I think a lot of decentralized teams within the broader on-chain ecosystem would learn a lot from paying attention to what's happening with Nouns. So I have a question for you. Why didn't you fork your now? Why did you decide to stay? Spicy. I, <laughs> I, I'm there for the meme, man. Like, I think like the, the mimetic value of something is very hard to quantify. Um, and, and I think one of the things with nouns that maybe people are underrating is if you just look at the success of, of CryptoPunks, there is a lot of value in a meme when it's the first and something that's early that later people come back and say, this was ahead of its time. And I want, I want a piece of this. And so I actually think people underrate yeah. that the art will be valuable at some point assuming that the meme continues to proliferate. So I actually think like contrast punks to nouns, the fact that nouns is willing to try all these weird experiments that, that I think is great. There is no one doing that. I mean, punks, I, I, and I love punks. Uh, I have one. Um, they are owned by Yuga labs and I think against Yuga labs, but it's, it's, it's just a very different uh, vibe than a group of internet pseudonymous characters who are building their own shared culture and, and things like that. And so the money, I like it, I, I wouldn't Shadow have bought in to begin with. I, I just, that's not, there are a zillion other assets you could go kind of put money into. To me, it's about the asymmetric zero. It's either worth nothing or it's worth a lot. And, and the, the mimetic value is the thing that will actually drive the, the real value in the long run. That was the same for me. Like nouns was always about, vibe. yeah. Yeah, it was always about the experiment for me, right? And so it was like, if I'm here for the experiment, then you know, a, a quick cash out doesn't really doesn't really move the needle on the experiment. So, well, here here's the other you know embarrassing thing for me is I, I was in Bitcoin like seventy five dollars, um, and I was in ETH you know sub a dollar, uh, and I sold those oh, wow. you know large chunks in both cases when i thought like oh man like this is such a great return for me and you know ye of little faith yeah. does not like it's just like it, it, the, the the smartest decision in both <laughs> cases and the only the only perk for me in crypto was coinbase's equity was illiquid for 10 years so there was no ability to sell and so i think like <laughs> i think that the best way to model all of this saved you Saved you from yeah, yourself. I mean, it, it, was, it was the best part. It's the thank you, SEC, for not making it easy to sell Coinbase equity until it was actually public. Um, but I think that the best way to think about all of this is if you um, believe in something that you're you know, early to and you believe it has mimetic value, you should, you should try to take a 10-year approach on it, right? Like this would be the first year I would be selling my Bitcoin. Makes sense. Even up the ups and downs, I think like buying in at you know seventy five and selling at thirty thousand, that would be that would have been a much better return than selling it at three. That would be just fine. Like yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, my my, my sense is fine. if I've learned anything, it's just like you know, it's it's not never sell. It's just have a long term view on things. Like ten years is is essentially an eternity. But but if you if you just and and by the way, this is how venture as a as an asset class, right? Like venture yeah. capital, this is how it works. You, you don't have the daily, should I sell or should I not? Like you're not a hedge fund um, because there is no liquidity. And the reason these things work is you you get the outsized returns when you invest in a, an Airbnb or Coinbase or, you know, um, 
whatever Google. It, it's it's the ability to kind of let the, the compounding happen. And in the case of a meme, just like a startup, which if you think about a startup, a lot of times it is itself a meme. And so letting mimetic compounding happen, it's extremely difficult in a world where you have the ability to like take liquidity at any point. And so I, I think yeah. that is easier said than done. But I think where I'm at my point in my life is just like anything you can get into early that you believe has asymmetric upside from a medic standpoint, and you have like, you think the vibes are right and the people are actually trying to push it forward, decade long bet. And and be fine if you, you know, in year three, it would have peaked. And if you had just sold in year three, better to have a portfolio of decade long bets because the ones that actually hit in year 10 are going to be, that compounding will have been extraordinary. And so so that that's, that's like yeah. my refined view and I'm now trying to practice what I pe preach in the sense that like, I, I didn't do it well enough for Bitcoin and Ethereum, unintentionally did it well with Coinbase. And so any of the NFTs I own, it's just revisit in 10 years. So 30, 30, 2031, that's yeah. the first time I can look at it and say, do I want to take liquidity here? <laughs> if, if you had waited until now to sell your Bitcoin, who knows, you could be going around to all the crypto conferences wearing a purple suit and a tie. You'd be, uh, Dan would have oh, been well. the new... The, the new Patricio. The new Patricio. Um, speaking of mimetic value, uh, I wanted to mention today, as we're recording this, it is Purple's, the DAO that was uh, that launched um, one year ago today. It's the Purpleversary. So uh, I just wanted to ask about what you've thought about Purple DAO just kind of popping up on its own in this very decentralized <laughs> manner and sort of what they've done within the ecosystem for this past year. Yeah, so nothing but positive things to say about Purple. I know they've had their ups and downs like any uh, new thing, right? Um, but I think, one, it speaks to the vibe that we've created with Farcaster, which I think is, is what we're trying to accomplish, is that the protocol is not owned by anyone. It is, it is a decentralized thing. And the brand is not owned by anyone. So I... I it just, it's so exciting that, you know, Chris and, and a couple others got together and said, Hey, we're not necessarily actively working on this day to day. We have day jobs or we're, we're not working at Merkle Manufacturing Warpcast. Um, but we care about this thing enough that we want to create an organization that wants to proliferate the meme. And so I, I, I think that that's great. And, and as a result, we ended up with Farcon, which that's where I, we, we met. And, um, that was an unconference. Merkel has never gone to a conference, any conference, hosted a conference. <laughs> yeah. um, yet we have all of this meme proliferation. And I think that that's important because it allows people to actually start to feel ownership over Farcaster in a way that even if they're not committing code to GitHub or you know working on a company full time, it can also be theirs as well. And so I, I think Purple was the first to kind of break the the glass there in terms of saying like hey like farcaster is what you want it to be for for you and um i i'm i'm deeply appreciative for it and i think one thing i would say is um the protocol itself over time should should be more decentralized in, in decision making and you know i think we we we're operating in a world right now where 
we borrowed this from the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force, rough consensus of working code. Like, and, and, and to be fair, that's actually very much how Ethereum works, like we were talking about before, is like you actually need to get the nodes to upgrade the code. And so that's a lot of what needs to happen. But I think with Farcaster, as the, as the protocol development, like the underlying technical infrastructure, there will always be new improvements, but on a relative basis is probably not going to be as fast especially compared, you know, this year versus five years from now. Um, but the social development of the network is, is going to actually hopefully continue to grow. And then like, that's our goal. And as more and more people are involved, that becomes more and more of an important part of what governance of Farcaster um, is. And so I think Purple doing this essentially unofficially is, is a good prototyping of like what works, what doesn't, like we're learning a lot. So I, I'm... I'm very appreciative. I, I, I'm i not as active in the sense that like, I, I just have a lot of stuff going on in terms of just like trying to grow the protocol. But I, I, it, it's not lost to me that this is a group of people that is spending their free time on something that I'm working on full time. And I think that that is, um, it's really meaningful to me. So I, I really appreciate everyone who participates. I think that means you've built a good special. meme. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was just gonna say, it says something very special about Farcaster that people are willing, like, I don't see people jumping up and going, you know what I want to do today? I want to see how I can help Twitter succeed in the world. Yeah, where's, where's Twitter now? Um, <laughs> I don't see uh, Twitter now. There's no anywhere. Twitter now. There's no Twitter now launching Unknowns Builder. Uh, yeah, and I and think I that think... it just says a lot, and you hear it over and over again from people who are building something on Farcaster or doing, you know, being a CLP, a conversation liquidity provider, where we're, you know, spending time talking about it or, or you know, talking on it. And I think that really speaks to something special within Farcaster that's very different from any other um, social media platform or social network. So kudos to you there for sure. Yeah. And I want to give David T. Fung uh, credit here. I, I, I didn't quite have the concept, excuse me, crystallized in my, um, in my head, but um, he gave me a book at a Farcaster meetup um, about the Grateful Dead. And I, and I kind of like perused it a little bit. Uh, I haven't had a ton of time to read books, but he, he actually did the best job explaining it is that, and, and I had a little bit of an understanding of this. And, and so it kind of clicked though, is the Grateful Dead, one of their, um, you know, kind of strategies, whether intentional or unintentional was they let people, they were like CCC zero before it existed. It's like anyone could take the Grateful yeah. Dead logo and make t-shirts and that there was no licensing or anything like that. And so what you did is you ended up getting a lot of meme proliferation in an era when the internet didn't exist. And, and so I think right. a decentralized brand, and obviously nouns is, is the epitome of this, but I think a decentralized brand, if you can make it work, and I wouldn't say we're out of the woods, but I do think Farcaster, um, you, and you can see this across, you know, whether it's Purple or, uh, you know, Oxen, uh, you know, resident artists, Farcats, mm -hmm. um, you just have a bunch of people building kind of like Farcaster-y things. Um, from a kind of like mimetic and, and brand value, that is that is infinitely more valuable in my view than having super slick centralized marketing. Um, and I think, for, especially from a protocol standpoint, if you're trying to build a protocol, you, you want it bottoms up, you want it grassroots. Um, and I think what you end up having is a lot of protocols, they, they don't really spend a lot of time thinking about like what what is the vibe we want to create here. By the way, Ethereum also really good at, at a lot of grassroots marketing, right? The fact that ETH Global and like 
you have all these, you know, eat Denver and like, you have all these kind of like conferences that people are just able to put the word Ethereum on it and, and, and kind of do it themselves versus some other crypto projects uh, tend to be, you know, they use their, their massive war chest to kind of do a bunch of events and those events can be high quality, but it's, it's top down versus bottoms up. And obviously Bitcoin is another good example of a decentralized brand. No one owns Bitcoin. The best thing that ever happened to Bitcoin is Satoshi going away. Like in terms of like, it actually, it allowed (laughs) you to have a decentralized brand instead of, and, and, and and that's caused its own set of problems. And so I I think the, the thing is, is so if you look at like Bitcoin and ETH um, or Ethereum, like those are decentralized brands, nouns, decentralized brands. And and so that's aspirationally, I think what we want to be for Farcaster. I hadn't thought about the Grateful Dead analogy. So cue the dancing bears, Tody. Um, but it makes perfect sense. It really does, because that's such a grassroots effort from everything, from all the events that people would have um, just with deadheads and things like that, that had nothing to do with the Grateful Dead organizing it. I think that's a great um, analogy there where we do have these meetups that happen with people meeting up at Farcaster, like just meeting up with people that they've met on Farcaster and going to dinner and, and having those conversations where, and you see it with nouns as well. Um, and, and that kind of just speaks to the specialness of the network itself. So I think that's um, really interesting that we can see some of these things that have happened in history and like find those analogies are really, really kind of cool. We put out a tweet and a cast asking our network what we should ask you, Dan. And we got quite a few responses to the cast and no responses to the tweet. So, I mean, take from that what you will. But here are some of the things that came up from the Farcaster cast. Noun40, who has been pretty instrumental in sort of leading by example and getting a lot of Nouners over and active on Farcaster, he asks, could Farcaster have potentially community-built uh, algos? Could they have community-built civil detection? And could there be sort of community moderation? For example, some threshold of mutes in a channel results in a ban. Are these the types of things that could potentially be implemented in channels? Yes, definitely. Um, let me let me address all three. So one, algos. Um, my point of view here is better start with multiple clients, uh, just because I think it sounds good in theory. And I know Blue Sky actually has, has implemented a version of this, but there's a lot that goes into like constructing an algo and, and we're in 2023. So like having an algo that's a little static is, is not going to get like a lot of usage versus having something that whenever you refresh and, and we're not even good at this yet with Warpcast and we're going to hopefully be better as much as people complain about the for you page on Twitter, the fact that every time you swipe down, you get 35 new tweets. Like it, it, like I bet you people don't even realize that they're doing that a lot. And so I think algo generation is, yeah. is a very sophisticated thing that we haven't even gotten right first in Warpcast before worrying about how do, how do you do other algos. And so I think there are two, right. two answers there. One, channels provide, you know, kind of like a more curated experience about a topic. So you can kind of think of those as mini algos. And then I think other clients, right? And so in, you know, kind of the simplest is if you just go to Flink's, Flink.fyi, like that's an algo. Like that's a homepage that is different than the Farcaster trending page. We don't use the same algo. Um, so I think that that, that is the first one. So they developed that, they developed that algorithm separately then Flink? Totally. Like we, there is no official algorithm to the protocol. Like you actually get it in your database and then you have to make the decisions on how to do the algo. And even the simple, simple as like reverse cron following, which is the simplest version of an algo. Do you do reply bumping? What happens if you recast? Like, like there are a zillion little product decisions that anyone building a client has to go do. And in, in each tweak actually is going to result in a different algo. 
Um, I think in terms of channels, where we are with channels, we are trying to figure out the kind of like the set of features that actually make channels click. And so I'm spending nearly all my time on this. And once we figured that out, and we're doing that in a centralized way on Warpcast. So channels underlying at the protocol are actually permissionless. But the caveat is Warpcast has a lot of, the, you know, the majority of users of Farcast are using it. We only show channels that we've created. We don't want to have to deal with permissionless channels right now. It's just like too much work. There's a ton of moderation that would come as a result of that. Uh, confusion, discovery. Like there's a bunch of features that you need to go build to make permissionless channels work well. Um, and so our, our point right. of view is you can go create a channel at the client, uh, the protocol level. And like Flink could go support that if they wanted. Um, but Warpcast, we're just going to have this list and we're going to add to it. Um, and in doing so. I think somebody did. Work. Somebody did all that. I, I, I saw a cast where someone said their client had separate channels, but they wouldn't show up as channels in Warpcast or they would just show up as home casts. Core, but they, I, actually just added, I, I think I saw this yesterday. Um, yeah. But but our point of view is if we don't have to go add all those other features in order to make permissionless channels work, then I can spend time on what is the actual essence of like getting a channel to work? How do you deal with like, you know, a, a low effort reply that is not or off topic reply in a channel like nouns. And so I think if we can iterate in a centralized way on Warpcast with our own set of channels um, over the next couple of months, then we're going to have a, a much better point of view on the thing that we should actually build that is part of the protocol that is decentralized. And I think one thing to consider is when you, when you decentralize something, the rate of innovation and change goes way slower and you have to build a lot more consensus uh, in order to make that change. And so where we want to be is like, if this idea doesn't work, like throw it out. Like we can just keep moving at the Warpcast client level. And then what we'll do is we'll propose it. We have a, you know, like EIPs, there's FIPs, Farcaster Improvement Proposal. We've had like 10 of them so far. But the idea is then you can propose it to the group of developers. They can weigh in and say, hey, I would want these other features. And then that's when you add it as kind of like canon to the protocol. And so that that's how we're thinking about channels. And, and the moderation uh, component of that is going to start centralizing Warpcast. And then we're going to have a proposal that, that works in a decentralized way. Okay, so maybe at some point the community in a channel like Nouns could have some granular control on moderation, but just not quite yet. Is that a good not summary? maybe. Definitely, it will be something that people can control first on Warpcast, and then definitely uh, anything that we do. If we if we think this primitive is actually worth doubling down on, then then it will be decentralized into the protocol. Okay, Dust Martin asked uh, if you could wish for one superpower, what would it be? Flight. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Right? But then you don't have to just dream about it, right? I want yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, Everybody to be fair, I would want like, to make sure we have like, good now. oxygen. <laughs> I would want good oxygen at a high altitude, but yes, flight would be nice. <laughs> and he says, more seriously uh, than that, uh, why will people still be using Farcaster in 10 years? Bring in the spice. There we go. We figure out how to grow daily active users in a sustainable way and maintain a level of quality. So you get to millions of people using it every day, that becomes a pretty hard network effect to unwind, especially in a world where the underlying protocol is, is entirely permissionless. And so anytime someone's frustrated, if they have the ability to build a client, they will build a new app that offers solution to whatever they're frustrated about. And so I think it's, it's just imperative for us to go from the, the several thousand people who are using Farcaster every day to several million.
And I think at that point, then you're going to have a lot more staying power. If we don't scale daily active users over the next year, it, 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 all the work that we've done won't matter. Like it'll just be this little kind of science experiment. So it's, it's really, really important for us to figure out how to grow. Yeah, that was actually one of the other questions that came up that I was curious to ask, which was, uh, what, if anything, could cause Farcaster to fail as an experiment, which is a bit of a negative framing, but I am curious if you've thought about that and, and you know, what your, what, you, uh, what your opinion is on that question. Yeah, so it's default um, dead right now, right? So there's, I think Warpcast is not profitable. Like we have a ton of money that we've raised, so we, we have a long runway. I think we'll probably, the team may start to lose interest before we run out of money because we've been careful about hiring. But I mean, I'm not losing interest anytime soon. So I think where we are is the thing that's exciting for people. It's exciting for other developers. It's exciting for people in the network is is having the network grow. And so if we don't spend enough of our energy treating this as like an existential risk to the protocol, um, it'll just kind of die a slow death. It, it, like nothing will be like existential tomorrow and like, oh, the network is done. I mean, I, I'm pretty confident in, in the technology from a protocol standpoint that we've built. But in terms of growth, like we have yet to figure out the way to sustainably grow the network. And I think I sometimes come across on Farcaster when I'm kind of saying, hey, lower priority for this feature or that. Um, I, I'm like, and at heart, I'm like a perfectionist. Like there's a zillion things that I would love to just like polish up in, in the client and, and a bunch of like nice little tweaks and quality of life improvements. But none of that will actually move the the growth of the network. And so... I hope what people hear from me when I say that, like, this is the focus is that it's coming from a place of like, we want Farcaster to succeed and, and actually to be able to, to stick around. And, and so doing, doing the thing that is the hardest and the most existential for the network is, is where we're focused rather than on things that might make people happy on the network today, but actually don't move the needle. We actually don't know how to like, we're, we're figuring it out. So it's, it's not like we have like a, a perfect plan and like we just, uh, we're going to run this playbook and it's going to work. It's, we're going through the IDMAs and we're trying our best in terms of ideas, paying attention to what people are actually doing on the network, where are the pockets of, of kind of like uh, quality and, and people kind of going above and beyond and saying, how, how can we take what's happening in nouns or forecast her or whatever channel and how do we scale that? How do, how do we bring more people onto the protocol and, and give them the tools and, and, and kind of make it very simple to understand of like, this is what you get out of using something like Farcaster. So for somebody who's new and wants to join Farcaster, how do they go about that? What's their best option and why should they? Like what to you, what's the value proposition of somebody joining Farcaster over another social platform? So Farcaster.xyz, there's create an account right on the homepage. Um, maybe even we should make it like a green button, like Facebook. So it's like very clear to click that button. Um, Warpcast is easy to do on mobile, which is, I think most people on the network and most people in social media use mobile as their primary way of doing it, but you can sign up on web with Flink. uh, mobile Warpcast. You can use your in-app payment. You don't even need any crypto. And with Flink, if you're crypto native and you want to use your existing, you know, MetaMask or something like that, you can do that. Um, why sign up that? 
is a little bit of a you know, like a harder question. Like it depends on the person, but the simplest way I would ask someone if they were like, well, why should I sign up for Farcaster? What are you interested in? And try to pull out from there. It's like, oh, well, um, I'm interested in gardening. Great. Well, we have a gardening channel and there's a bunch of people on the internet who are kind and thoughtful. And if you were to ask questions or talk about gardening, they're probably going to respond to you even though they don't know you. So uh, for some people that sounds like, well, why would I want to talk to strangers on the internet? And then other people who um, <laughs> may say, hey, wait, like, that's actually, that sounds awesome. Like, I wish I knew more people in my life who are interested in gardening. I'm this like weird odd duck wherever I live that, uh, you know, I want to find more people like me. And so I think we've done a decent job of actually in a community like um, EVM, which is like Ethereum virtual machine. It's like very technical, uh, you know, 5,000 people are following that channel. Uh, but there's a, there's a small group of people who are really dedicated to, to interacting in that channel. So it's like people talking about solidity code and, and, and other things that are pretty technical and nerdy and that's great. And so it's like, if that can be a home for people who like spend most of their day writing solidity, and this is like a community of people that you didn't know before, but are thoughtful and engaging. Great. And so I think if we can do that thousand, 10,000, hundred thousand different subreddit type, uh, you know, with, with channels, then I think we might have some legs. And just for uh, like a, a data point, 130,000 active subreddits, 2.8 million created all time. So that's a 5% survival rate for subreddits. So so you have to actually assume that are going to be a right. lot. And you can imagine discords are probably like this. It's like you get really excited, you start a discord, and then no one actually joins it or you use yep. it for a week and then everyone falls off. That's fine. That's that's completely fine. It, it um that's fine to have a small percentage of them work. And so I think where we need to figure out is like, one, what is the kind of like modality for creating one of these? Like, what are the tools that you give? Like, cause everyone who creates something like a channel is, is an entrepreneur. They're a social entrepreneur in the sense that they are trying to build a group of people around some type of interest. And so giving them the tools uh, to be able to do that in a way that um, allows them to grow and, and sustain that, that community. That's I think an imperative for us to figure out. And in doing so, then I think that the value prop gets really easy. It's like you, you either can find people who have similar interests to you, or you can bring people who have similar interests to you uh, to to this network, right? Or or start a group, and and you'll actually find those people who who might have some weird niche esoteric interest. And so that that's actually I think what we're honing in on as the primary value prop. Well, here's to interacting with kind strangers on the internet. We're all about that and uh, appreciate your time uh, chatting with us today, Dan. It's been super fun. This will go live the first week in uh, November. So looking forward to that. And uh, thanks again so much for, for joining us today. It was great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dan. We'll, uh, we'll see you on Firecaster. Fantastic. Yep. Likewise. <laughs>